You're listening to Irish Radio Canada, and I always welcome the opportunity to connect with immigrants and uh, reach out and find out what brought them to Canada and how it has been. And this week, we're going to head out to the West Coast. We're going way out to Vancouver, and that's the Canadian side of it. But on the other side of it, we're going to a few miles outside Tarburton County, Kerry. And uh, from a few miles outside Tarbert to Vancouver is Michael Kelly. And Michael, what brought Michael to my attention was we chatted a while back with Damien Michael Gunn. And Damien has produced some uh, movies in the Irish language. And in the course of the conversation, I said to Damien, who's from Belfast, where'd you learn your Irish? And he said, Michael Kelly taught me. And I said, who's he? He said, well, he's here and he's out in Vancouver and he teaches the Irish and um, he's from County Kerry. And um, I said, well, can you put me in touch? So <laughs> we've been put in touch. Michael Kelly, Tafalcha Roth. Okay, Grev Mahagutta. So before we... we get into Canada, I always like to go back to Ireland and give us a little bit of history of yourself. You're from outside Tarbert and uh, uh, grew up in what would have been the Ireland of, um, an agri- what would have been a rural Ireland in an agricultural economy. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was born in 1933. And um, farming people, and my my family were farming people. And unfortunately, my father was the second son. So, the he got nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so, I thought, yeah, then I heard so if he got nothing and his elder brother would have got the farm. Oh yeah, the elder what, brother what, got what the did you what did your dad do then? Uh, my dad he uh, did odd jobs and he worked on the farm and uh, then he was interested in politics and uh, so uh, he became interested in local politics. And he became a member of the county council. He was elected as a county councillor. And he used to go to Tralee for uh, the county council meetings uh, at the Ash Memorial Hall in Tralee. Right. And he did that. And he and one of the people he was friendly with he was, was uh, Dan Spring. Dan Spring is the father of Dick Spring and all the other Springs. Yeah. And my father, he was, uh, he was up for the election the, uh, to the doll in 1944. Right. He and Dan Spring were the two Labour candidates for North Kerry. Dan Spring got in, my father didn't. Now, Michael, you, that's, North Kerry always has had a strong labour interest. They still have. And the springs at the time, the springs were oh, the uh, the main folks of the Labour Party in Northern Ireland. Now it's, uh, oh God, I, I don't keep track of it now, but uh, 
Anyway, it is. It has moved. Yeah, and the Labour Party are. Um, they're they're going through a quiet time at the moment. Would be the nicest. Ah, oh, yeah. Thing. And one of the things I read about the Labour Party recently is that they do now not now support uh, the use of Irish in um, exams and stuff like that. Right. right. In right. you know, in the odd test and uh, the man test. Uh, yeah. So but, uh, going back then, so in the if you were born in thirty three, that would have mean you were coming of age to go to school around the late 38, 39, 1937, 38, 39. Um, by the time I was, uh, by the time I was six, seven years old, I was well able to foot turf. Right. <laughs> and was there, was there an, uh, a two room or three room school anywhere near or? The... Oh, there was a cool art school. Right. Yep. And, um, my father, um, he was a bit of a businessman as well. And what he did during the war years was he bought turf in the town of Listowel and all over the place. And he shipped it via train in Valori to uh, Limerick, Tipperary and anybody who needed turf. Right. But, of course, after the war, oil started coming in and stuff like that. So... Uh, uh, the turf selling business uh, didn't go over big uh, up until much after 1946-47. But um, by then, my father died in 1946, and he died of the usual disease, lungs. Uh, right. Uh, um, well, geez. Uh, so my language. When you were uh, had. Uh, there's a power station in Tarbert now, as far as I recall. Had oh, the, yeah, it still is there. Was that there or was that set up around that time? Uh, that was set up afterwards, as far as I know. We right. used to We used to depend on the one up in the Shannon. Eh? Right, oh, yeah. Uh, and, but uh, then again, all the time I was in Ireland up until uh, I left Ireland in 1950... Well, the beginning of 51, January 51, after Christmas 1950, there was no rural, rural electrification was non-existent at the time. Rural electrification didn't come in from Ardna, Russia until, uh, oh, maybe 1960s or so. And of course, well, the European, uh, European Union brought in a lot of that stuff. And <laughs> well, as I, as I mentioned to my my mother, used to live in Tralee, and actually one of her brothers was with the ESB and had been involved in the rural electrification. Now at that stage, they were long gone from Tralee, but um, <laughs> they they had spent a number of years, uh, the the whole lot of them, uh, down there. And um, I know at the moment uh, one of the tourist attractions in. Um, Tarbert as well. Oh, sorry, or they were in Tarbert, but in Tarbert as well is the uh, the old jail. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was uh, used for uh, some very unusual purposes, and some very innocent men were put in there, uh, and it was used to um, at times for uh, as a barracks for the British soldiers. Uh, and the British soldiers usually were Irishmen, unfortunately, right. in those days. So when you were growing up, Michael, <coughs> outside of Tarbert, <coughs> were there many kids your own age um, 
that you would have been like was there a rural community oh there was a large rural community because uh, um, birth prevention was uh, unknown and so families were very large my uncle had 12 kids my aunt had uh, about 12 more and uh, every one of them uh, emigrated eventually yeah and uh, the schools, we went to Coulard School, and uh, the education was, uh, it was not education, it was punishment. And I said the other day, there was something on the news here in Canada about uh, a six-year-old kid shooting his teacher down somewhere in the States. And I said uh, to them, to my family, I said, if I had had a gun at the age of six, I would have shot the goddamn teacher we had, right. because he was a he was an animal. And if he about a, August Maradurus lat gun the Irish I have is the Irish of the big stick, right. beaten into me, and cor- corporal corporal punishment was very severe. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, and um, at that time as well, um, I guess uh, the centre of the community naturally was probably the church. Ah, uh, the church and the teacher. Eh, you know, the teacher had um, very high profile. So had the church. Well, people had stations, and you know, if you had any piece of land at all. And the church had any way of getting a few bucks out of you, they would, uh, they would do it. Eh? And uh, you would be presented with a, an ultimatum uh, once every few years. Is uh, We'll have stations in your house uh, this year and this, this and this. I don't know what the, uh, what the prerogatives of the priest were, but uh, you had to give so much money and... Uh, all the rest of this thing. Thank God that's gone. And uh, so although then, I was brought up a Catholic, I did not remain a Catholic. Right. So, Michael, in your own family, then, how many siblings? Uh, there were four of us. Um, so, and did you all emigrate, or did some stay behind? Well, after my father died, and uh, the uh, and the. Uh, selling of turf to Limerick and uh, Tipperary and places like that went down. Uh, my mother was a nurse <laughs> and uh, at that time my elder brother who was a year and a half older than I he was finishing <coughs> school with the presentation brothers in Cork and he finished his schooling. He did the uh, he finished it at St. Michael's College in Listowel but um, he uh, did his uh, leaving certificate, his, and he went to England, and he did very. He was very successful. He was young enough. <coughs> he was young enough at sixteen uh, that he could develop the right accent, the English accent, and he could leave. Uh, he could leave the Paddy accent alone. And at that time, if you went to England, uh, uh, 
but and you were an Irish man, the first thing they looked at was to see if you how much wealth you had in your hand uh, to place you in the right social structure. And uh, anyway, he he had a he got a, an office job, and eventually he got to be a regional manager in a in a finance company up in. Guildford uh, outside London and afterwards down in Brighton and he was very successful up until he was around uh, 55 or so and and of course he didn't have any degrees or anything and then he found out that uh, people with uh, degrees in Eton and Oxford were getting promoted ahead of him so his his wife was also a nurse and they between, he quit, <coughs> and they started out a nursing home between them, and they had twelve twelve to twenty beds, and they had a very good business of it down in down in Brighton and Worthing on the south coast of England but uh, but uh, at this time. <laughs> Well, by then I I went to England at seventeen, and again I had uh, I went to the Presentation Brothers and uh, the Salesian Fathers up in County Leaks, and they had a place in Palaskendry in Limerick <coughs> at the same time. And uh, excuse me, I'm always coughing, but I got a good education. Did. Uh, uh, did the Cambridge Leaving Certificate, which is the equivalent of uh, of the um, uh, test uh, of the, oh, of the, the Irish the, one, the, the matric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, it's the equivalent of the London matric. Yeah. So, Michael, was it unusual at that time for um, secondary education? for people to get to it because I know it wasn't really until free education came in in uh, Dunno Khamali brought it in that it opened the doors for people to have easy access to it well in in Ireland uh, out of all the people I went to school with my brother and I were the only ones who got secondary education right. to my knowledge uh, the reason <laughs> the reason is my my mother was well known in the community as a nurse and delivering babies and everything. And she had the little bit of pull, as they say in Ireland. Right, right. And she contacted uh, the Presentation Brothers down in Cork and <coughs> said her son was the makings of a priest or a brother. And, you know, so basically uh, we were put in there under false pretenses. <laughs> <laughs> and and my brother was kicked out of the, the presentation people <laughs> I'm not too sure what he did he said he did nothing but uh, he was kicked out a little bit before his time which is why he ended up at St. Michael's College in Listowel right but uh, so when you went to England um that was, sorry, I meant to, like your mum, was she from the area? Uh, oh, no, she was a local person. And she had been to uh, England before as a nurse. She had learned her nursing in England. Right. No, but because oftentimes what has surprised me uh, about many 
uh, relationships in Ireland, many, many marriages in Ireland, that the uh, wife wasn't necessarily from the same locality. Oh, uh, oh, my wife and father were from the same locality. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Um, because I know when I'm... Oh, maybe, maybe five uh, miles away, you know. But right. within... <laughs> In your Oxstrada, Salona, Kayla. Within an asses roar of each other. Because when I'm doing my family tree, um, I, I have, I get lost in some areas because they, I still haven't been able to figure out where my, I think it's my great 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 grandmother on my mother's side came from. But I know it wasn't around where she ended up getting married and I was surprised with some how some people seemed to come together. So when you went to England at 17 um, what year, you're talking then 19, that's uh, 33, 1950 roughly. 1950, just at the end of, uh, yeah, yeah 1951 Yeah, yeah I, I left uh, at Christmas, I left uh, the Salesian Fathers because uh the way they did it was they would send you to a novitiate as soon as you finished your London matriculation. They right. would send you to a novitiate over in England. And I thought, well, uh, maybe I'm not novitiate materials. So I jumped the gun and went to England after Christmas. <laughs> and So... Um, before you did, uh, let's switch gears as well and talk uh, GAA for a moment, because um, uh, uh, you couldn't grow up in Ireland, particularly in Kerry, without either kicking a ball or uh, having a slither. Would you like me to recite to you the Kerry team from nineteen from nineteen fifty and forty five fifty? Well, I... in goal, Jokey Hanmer full back. Paddy Bond Brosnan in the back, Bill Casey. In center field, you had Paddy Kennedy. In the forwards, you had Mutt Kelly and um, Giga Connor and a few more. But right. I was crazy about football and it was my main interest whilst I was, was playing football, like every, like every other kid in Kerry. Right. So anyway, yeah. so you got you get to England. You're 17 years of age. I'm 17 years of age. I'm good at mathematics, so they sent me into um, they set me up a job in a Morley and Beckett, uh, an accounting firm. Uh, so I started off my my career as an accountant by. Uh, Making paper airplanes and slinging them all across the room. I didn't. I didn't succeed very well. <laughs> I didn't take the job seriously. Right. And uh, I had. Well, the first thing is. Then I had another job, but making uh, false teeth. You know, you put them in a mold and put them in a fire. And I had a. I had a, a whole series of jobs. Including, um, including a barker on the Palace Pier in Brighton. Do you know what a bar- barker is? I'm getting the sense that it's like a town crier. I uh, well, something like that. You know, you're you're there with uh, darts, and you you're trying to get people to 
hit the bullseye and they pay so much. All right. But I got sacked from that as well because I didn't yell loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a whole series of jobs that I was completely unsuited for. And at that stage, then, since you came to Canada, not long after that, you didn't stay long in England. Ah, no, no, no. I stayed around there for the best part of 10 years. All right. But hold on. Uh, At that time, and in 2019, in the early 1950s, uh, at that time in, in England, they had something called national service. In other words, if you were 19 years of age and you had uh, two legs in you and uh, you don't mind being killed, you got, uh, you got inducted into the, uh, into the army. Yeah. Well, if you went in before your time, you got more pay than if you were inducted. And as I wasn't doing very well in civilian life, I was doing terribly because I was a fish porter in the in the Marble Ho- Marble Arch Hotel in uh, Crickle in uh, in Marble Arch in London, and I was well acquainted with uh, the Galtie Moor and the the Crown the Crown Pub in Cricklewood. Right. But anyway, I joined uh, the British Air Force willingly. Right. And I'll say this quite plainly. Um, I liked it. I had a great time. I spent uh, three years out in Hong Kong, in Singapore, and I really enjoyed it. I had a tremendous time, and I'll give it to the British that uh, I got the equality of the Fenians. In other words, I got treated fairly. So normally when you enlist for something like that, you're going to get training, and you, you, the good part of it is you come out with some skill. Yep. So I did. What, what, what did you specialize in? Uh, uh, communications. Brilliant. Uh, the first thing I learned was the Morse code and all the rest of it. And... Uh, for my punishment, at this time, uh, Britain was a major power worldwide. Uh, and they had troops all over the place. In, and uh, in one of the places they had them was in Hong Kong. And in outside of Hong Kong Island, there was also the New Territories, which was a strip of land on the mainland going up towards Canton. They, they call it Guangdong or something else now. <laughs> So, um, uh, what that put me doing was um, using the Morse code and receiving, spying on the Morse code by doing direction finding, triangulating where their transmitters were, where their Morse code transmitters were in China, mm-hmm. triangulating it so you could spot and say, there's a communication center here, here, and here. Mm-hmm. And I did that. So to do that, you had to be out in the middle of a bloody paddy field with stacks of mosquitoes. But I enjoyed it. And uh, and I was there for, uh, I suppose I was in the paddy field for a year and a half or so. Right. And uh, But I had a great time. 
So when you come back to to England and you get to the end of your ten years of service, was that when they did? No, I didn't have ten years service. In, no, but you, no, I was uh, I was three years in the Far East, best part of three years. Right. But I came back, and uh, the first thing uh, I did, I says, uh, uh, they had courses going, and. Uh, one of the courses they had going that was in my line of business was radio officer's course for the Merchant Navy. Right. So I, they gave me a year's course up in London. My my family was living in Brighton at the time. My, um, my mother and uh, my sister and my younger brother. And I used to whip up to London every day on the train. And they paid for everything. The... Uh, the the British forces, and I got an excellent education on communications. And outside of the communications, there was the electronics angle as well. And it was basically an introduction to computers. Yes. And so I went off. By then, I was tired of the cold in England, and uh, the first uh, post I had was on a ship going across the sea from Harwich to Hook Van Holland. Both Hook Van Holland and Hook, the Hook of Holland was the coldest goddamn place on the face of the earth across the North Sea. Right. So I decided I'd like a, some hotter place, and I applied, and the, they flew me out to Calcutta. Uh, this was Marconi Marine was the name of the company, yep. And uh, so I got a... Got on a ship called the Sangola then there. It was the Sangola was the British India Steam Navigation Company. And what we did was we had a, we had a trip from there to to East Pakistan, which is now oh Jesus, uh, East Pakistan. The, when when India split, when India became independent, I split up into East and West Pakistan. Right. East Pakistan, I forget what they call it. Yeah, my geography isn't up for that. Yeah, but I went to all the ports, uh, down Rangoon, Singapore, up to Hong Kong, up to Japan, Yokohama, Nagoya. Osaka, Kobe, and back down to Calcutta again. It's a sailor's life. And how long to spend on the water? I spent a few years out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe a bit less than that. Right. But but, but, but I, I, I enjoyed it. There were a lot of Irish guys who did the same thing as I did. Yeah? Right. The thing about something like that, though, is I would imagine if you're prudent, it gives you an opportunity to to amass a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. A little bit. I was, uh, well, I was brought up poor, so, you yeah. know, I had no problem saving money. Yeah. And uh, basically, on board ship, uh, unless you were the captain, you uh, you stayed quiet and did your work when you were at sea, when you were in port, unless you had to stay stay aboard for one reason or another. Uh, you went out and uh, you got walloped. Right. Uh, except the captain. He, usually a lot of captains were drunks in any case because it went with the job. Right. 
you know, if you were at sea all the the time, you've got nothing else to do, you might as well get drunk. Because uh, the first mate usually did all the watch standing. The captain was figurehead. Right. But yeah, but I enjoyed it. And I met, I met some of the people again that uh, I had met when I was in the Air Force in, uh, in Hong Kong. Right. But. So then, at what stage then did you uh, make the move to Canada? I came back to England then and I thought, well, I've had enough seafaring because uh, seafaring when you're about 27 or 28, 26, 27, it's kind of a shiftless existence. You're from, uh, a lot of seamen develop into alcoholics eventually. So I came back and by then, my mother and my brother and my sister had gone to Montreal. Okay. And my other brother, who had the good job in England, he had he'd be married by then, and so he says, "Well, I'm doing fine here. I got myself a good job. He's got an office and people working for him and stuff." So uh, I came back to England and I worked for a little while. And then in uh, 1960, I got a letter from my sister saying, I'm getting married in Montreal. And our our father was dead. She asked me, would I come over to walk her down the aisle? You know, because we were always a close family. So I come over expecting... And there was a, a friend of mine also from Kula Clarig, John Scanlon. He was going to get me a green card to go into the United States. But I came to Canada and uh, so I got a job here. What we're going to do is take a little break. And while we're playing a break, we might play the Kerry dances. Welcome back. Um, we're chatting with Mike Kelly. Mike is up in Vancouver, and we've been hearing about how coming from outside Tarbert, um, serving his time and getting trained in communications in the UK and finding when he got to Canada uh, to give away his sister because she wanted him to give him away for getting married, uh, he found that his skill set was something that was very much in demand at that time by Transport Canada. And Michael joined Transport Canada and uh, was involved in uh, when the Jew line was in in place because we're back now in the 60s and there were real concerns of Russian activity. And as we all know, communications, even in this day and age, it's the one vehicle that everybody needs in order to figure out what the other guy is doing. So that was your job was to try to help uh, some way or other keep an eye on what the other guy was doing. Oh, yeah. I I go home at that time. I was Vime Imokone here, Bank Street. I was going to Uplands. I was going to Uplands Airport training. But uh, then I met with somebody, and I thought, I don't want to go up in the Jew line, someplace up in northern Quebec where there'd be five people all alone with uh, transmitters and stuff. So I persuaded some other guy that he'd be better off there. Uh, And uh, (laughs) so 
then I swapped with him and uh, everything seemed okay and I got sent off to Lac Megantic in eastern Quebec where mm. none of them spoke English, they all spoke French. There's a uh, outside of breaking up trains in like Megantic, uh, yeah. they uh, they ha- there was a small airport there, just a grass airport. It was on the air route from uh, from uh, well maybe Toronto, Montreal down down to the east, Halifax and Newfoundland right. and places. So we just contact the planes as I went over and tell them the altimeter setting and. Uh, all the rest of this good stuff, what the weather was like in Vancouver, or in Vancouver, in Montreal, and, right. and that type of stuff. We also took the weather like uh, cloud heights and stuff like that, but we never had any, we never had anyone coming into the airport except very few. We were right on the border, more or less, of uh, the United, of New York, yeah? except the odd American got lost and landed in the place and and found out that they were in Canada rather than in the United States. So, Michael, but, did you did you learn French then, or did you need French? Yeah, yeah. we were all English speaking, and Neil Neil Frank Neil Frankish but. Yeah, that was fine. I was working there for, well, I I was working there for a few weeks. It could have been a few months. And my sister wasn't yet married. And uh, I found out I wasn't getting paid. And then I found out, they had found out that I was not a Canadian citizen. I was an Irish citizen, said my passport. Right. <laughs> and... Uh, but then somebody did the mathematics and Michael Kelly was born in 1943 and up until 1948 he would have been a British subject. And besides, I was uh, in the British Air Force. So at that time, the fact that you had, that you were a British subject or citizen meant that you could join the Canadian Civil Service. That is not the case now, oh. thank God. I would have been out of a job now. Right. So um, eventually, at the time I had promised uh, my sister a bit of money for her wedding present, I didn't have any bloody money to give to her. <laughs> but she got married to um, Jerry Griffin, and um, she's living a block away from me here in Vancouver for the last 50 years. Uh, right. But all the family then, my mother, my brother, my sister and myself were living in Quebec. None of us uh, spoke any French. And in the 1960s, uh, uh, we had Duplessis first as uh, premier. Then we had Jean Lesage. And then there was uh, a guy with an Irish name. I forget his name now. But uh, uh, there was Johnson at one stage. Johnson, that Tosh Yeah. And uh, then there was René Lévesque. Yeah. And of course, when René Lévesque came in, my sister had kids, my brother had kids, we all had kids, and none of us had a goddamn word of French. Right. So we all decided lock, stock, and barrel to come to Vancouver. That was in 1972. 
But so the whole lot of us, lock, stock, and barrel, came to Vancouver in 1971-72. I had a job already with uh, the Ministry of Trans... No, I didn't. Later on, I got I got a change of jobs that sent me out here. Right. Uh, but before that, oh yeah, I forgot to say. In between times, I got married. <laughs> a friend of mine. And then a slightly insignificant fact. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, a friend of my sister. She, that they, they, they used to share the same apartment in Montreal. And the next thing I knew, I married to this friend of my sister, this English woman called Lillian. And she's been the plague of my life for seven, <laughs> 61 years. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I can't get away from the English. And she, and, so well, I want to move along now because you've arrived in Vancouver and this is now where you're into a whole new community and you told me that while you had school Irish beaten into you, um, you would have li- you, you really, uh, your Irish in, uh, at this stage, you would probably have, like me, after emigrating, effectively nearly lost it. Uh, I had the, the, my old school book Peg Sayers. Right. And uh, uh, I was interested in Irish, but um, I was not able to hold a conversation, uh, you know, like we've been doing. Well, I can in Vancouver on Row Diniella. There were people here with Irish, but they were not meeting each other, and there was no conversation circle like we have right now. And was there an Irish community at that time? Because I know now there there's a large Irish community in Vancouver, but Vancouver was not really where the draw was. It used to be to Toronto. Um I've never seen Vancouver have an Irish community like the Irish gathered in one place. Uh, we're scattered all over the place, so there is no there's no focal point. Eh? Right. In other words, you can't say this is an Irish district and you'll meet an Irishman there. We're right. we're we're interlaced into the community. We're uh, one of the things uh, that I noticed, and thankfully it, it occurred, is all the time I was in England, I never felt at home. I was always a stranger in a strange country. When I came to Montreal in 1960, I stepped off the boat and I was at home straight away. And I congratulate Canada on that because I could be at home here and uh, and when I go home to Ireland people will say to me uh, uh, when are you coming back home again and I'll say to them I'm at home in Canada I'm not at home here right right uh, but so when did you um take a serious interest 
in um, the Irish. Uh, I always liked Irish because it's it's in my blood, it's in my culture, it's in my bones, and I've written articles for you know the local magazine at home uh, on the use of. Uh, of Irish and Irish grammar in the English language when I was when I was young, yeah. but uh, uh, I went back. Uh, I went back. I got a three-month holiday in uh, 1994, and I went back and uh, I went to school in uh, down in Kerry in Corcoguina in Balonaterig, and. Uh, I also did a course up in Egungaharu, Kararo, August, um, uh, with Limo Kinnegan in Inidiskoil. And, uh, yeah, Shinian Faga will ungailigagumar, the Kusarasher Scholarish, Akni Revun Gaili Kailteogum, Ak the Vishay Bjogna Kailteogum, Ak the Hanikshay Rashkum, yeah. It was in hiding. Yeah. Uh yeah. So um so then uh, you now as I if some there is Irish being taught and you're part of it in Vancouver. Oh yeah. We uh, we've a conversation circle Every Monday. Right. And we meet for an hour and a half, two hours. And for one one time, we met all the time on Zoom uh, during COVID times. Nowadays, we meet one week on Zoom, and the other week we meet out at a local cafe, right. JJ Beans. But uh, I should tell you about the man who is really responsible for it, uh, a man called Scott Holzer, he's not even an Irishman, but he's an American, and he was went to school in, uh, he went to university in Chicago. He's a physics professor. Right. And um, he, he spent, uh, well, you'd know about this, he spent six years down a mine in, in the Sudbury, Neutrino Observatory. Have you heard of it? I have. The Sudbury. Well, he was one of the people who uh, who was doing neutrino research down in the Sudbury Neutrino University. Yeah? And he's um, he's um, very high in the physics uh, in the physics world. And then Googler Scott Oser O S E R. Okay. But. Uh, he had a great interest in the Irish language because he learned it in Chicago. So when he came up here, he speaks Irish better than I do. And he's got the Kerry accent <laughs> because he's gone back to Kerry and studied Irish at Balonaterig uh, Ballyferreter. Uh, right. Not only did Scott Hoser translate this book into Irish but his wife is a writer and she wrote the novel she's written her name is R- Rachel Hartman and she speaks Irish as well right 
she's not as good as he is, but she's learned Irish. But Scott translated this book into Irish as well. And um, he's also been down to Ottawa, or no, to Ireland, and given lectures on down the dark, dark matter. Right. You know, physics. Yeah. yeah. In Gaelic. Wow. At, to the Irish at uh, Eroctus the Sauna, if you've ever heard of Eroctus yeah. the Sauna, it's the big meeting of the uh, of the Irish intelligentsia who uh, who look after Irish. He's giving lectures there on down and dark, dark matter in physics in Gaelic. Uh, he's put he's put a lot of stuff on. Look him up. He's put stuff on Vicepede as well. Vicepede is the uh, is the Irish version of Wikipedia. Ah, uh, not only has he taught Irish, but Undamapada. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nahanon Bada. That's the Bible of uh, the Buddhist Bible. August He translated. That book to Irish. Sin Laurella Dastrixe Gobelig. Serafina. August. Is far muller August. August is seen the Gaelige. Is seen the Gaelige. He's. Well, he looks like a I don't know what the, the word in English is. But he's a genius at Irish. Right. And now, uh, you, and, you and I were chatting before while we weren't recording, and there was another Canadian that you met, and that I know, and who um, was very much an, an influence on bringing the Irish language and revitalizing the Irish language in this neck of the woods, and yeah. that was Harpy Gillicunny. Oh, yeah. The odd Vassagum Harold. I had great respect for Harold. He was he was a man of courage, and uh, yeah, and I, like I said, I wrote, uh, I translated some stuff for him years back, and I met him a few times, and uh, and I went down on a course at Gaelfoot on Elanur. It's outside. Oh, geez, what's the name of the place? In a Ancho or uh, in Ern? I uh, know in uh, Ontario. Uh, in Tamworth. In Ah uh, Trashelgut, yeah, in Tamworth. Yeah. yeah. So I spent a week at well, I spent a week in Tamworth, uh, but uh, yeah, but I had great respect for Arnold because he was a he was an officer in the uh, in the Canadian Army. And uh, the story goes that uh, he objected to uh, doing obeisance to the uh, queen at regular intervals, doing obeisance to the monarchy, and uh, and he um, he, he gave indications that uh, it shouldn't be done, and that he objected to it. And on account of that, he was sent out to Iraq. That's the story I heard. I understood that that to be the case. All right, you did, yeah. 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 Um, so, have you found? Because I know I did. That once you started using the language, it comes po- nearly comes gushing back. 
Tashin our daughter that it comes naturally to you to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now there and are still words I struggle with because um I haven't used them and they haven't cropped up. And I would there are uh, you know there there's uh, I've got a lot back, but I struggle still until uh, a word is missing, and then it, once it's back, <laughs> once it's back, we've we've got it. It's in place. Ah, jeez, Tom and Tarlat, you lucky. Can't she stop close one? A gumsa, agsamakun close, in one year and out the other. No, that sometimes you know because it'll make sense. You know, because it was a word that was used regularly, but it just hasn't been pulled up. And as soon as it pulled up, oh, yeah, okay, now I got it. Now I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Damien McElgon. It was Damien. Uh, Damien, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I meet Damien every so often. Uh, he's a man from County Tyrone, relocated right. to Belfast. And yeah. now he's living on the island here, Vancouver Island. And uh, he has produced a number of uh, movies, Asquelga. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I know because uh, a friend of mine um, who teaches at um, the uh, uh, Nematron in Ring, mm-hmm. um, Damien went over. It's a place where a lot of the T.J. Cahar movies are uh, initiated out of and I know Damien was over there to attend a course on movie making and he, a friend of mine I chatted to her about it uh, and he had told me he was over there twice but um, Damien I know uh, he's, you, he, you were a great help to him in helping him getting the productions together Oscar Elga yeah maybe a little bit yeah, but uh, um Darren Mavik, Darren Mavik, my son say, now Vader lumps now avuna the isk. But I couldn't, I couldn't teach a fish how to swim. Shinna Darren Mavik, then I go via Craig, Craig, so, Mike, you mentioned that your your mum, your sisters are now around. About was it? Well, your sister is close by, and it's, your mum had moved out to Vancouver as well. Um, you've, you are you? How many kids did you have yourself? Uh, Bert. Uh, Ogs, will she in Vancouver or not? Um, we went to Galair. Bert. Yeah, we toured again. I think I for she boss. I guess he og. is true Right. Yeah. Um, so something like we've just gone past Christmas. There's a there's a clan. You guys can get together as a clan. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm Leona. Then then get Leona. The we truck a dog in Lekele Igornanalog. There were thirty two of us together for Christmas. Fantastic. Truck a dog in the Calig, the Griffins, Augustine. Dina Ella, Gwail Ta Yi Gulairs, Shakas Bert, Vi Bert Strong Sherry Own, Ak Truck, Truck a Dem Winter Lekele, Agus Vishen Gohuntuk Gohuntuk Erfad, Agus Shinion, Shinion Rodus Mo Imahail Nalayantasa, Mar Gawilma Winter Kod Lu Lekele, that, that they're so close together. Agus, ah, nivimid, nivimid, 
Rev COVID uh, on on Canada Day. Uh we breakfast as uh Chak Show. August Magrahar, August Mayfain, August Makela, the Vicundinair, and so Nalagavan, and so Nalagella, August and so Nalagella. Akanish, um, Tan 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 the end man act on on job on Alexa. My niece did it. Right. Yeah. Um, Michael, we're going to have to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been a, a real honour and pleasure chatting with you. It's been fun, and um, it, it's I'm so glad that we we connected, and I want to thank you. And if there is any time left between now and what would be sixty minutes, we'll I'll find a little bit of Kerry music and and I'll, <laughs> I'll put you. it on there. Yeah. But Gurumila Mila Mahagut. Gurumila Mahagut Fein. I guess Radella. On past the Viego Mar Effigok Radio, I guess. The V. Cleadic Brago Magus Rodia Ershaw Ermogulin and Ish. I was replaced by a cell phone. There you go. <laughs> oh, well. But it, but the cell phone can't repair radios and no, radars no, and stuff. No, no, I no, could no. do that. No, but nor, nor, nor can it, nor can it express emotion. Yeah. Okay. 